Welcome back to the Almost Shameless Podcast with Tanya Ray Fox. I am your host, Tanya Ray Fox, and this is episode nine. We are, uh, we're into the back end of August, a couple of weeks away from the NFL season starting. Most NFL teams are uh, looking pretty good and pretty healthy as of right now, which is great news. The NBA playoffs are in full swing. NHL playoffs are in full swing. For my fellow Boston fans, it's a great time. Celtics in the playoffs uh, won their first game against the 76ers. Bruins up 3-1 over the Hurricanes in their first round. And Cam Newton is looking pretty nice at Patriots uh, camp. So, you know, all's well as it can possibly be in 2020. Um, which means, of course, there's probably a hammer that's about to drop on us from somewhere around the corner. Maybe that hammer is going to be having to watch Tom Brady and Gronkowski play football in a couple of weeks in an orange uniform. Um, but for now, life is good. We're still in summer. We still have beautiful weather. And, you know, there's another month or so of just enjoying the sunshine before things start to get chilly and frosty just like all of our souls. I have a few things to discuss with you today. Um, The first up, we're going to talk about the unwritten rules of baseball. I'm pretty sure we've talked about this on on the podcast before, but a recent incident in a Padres Rangers game has brought one of the more uh, ridiculous unwritten rules to light and caused a big stir and actually created a controversy around something that I honestly think you'll be surprised about. If you don't already know about this, I think that this will be pretty shocking to you. Even if you're not a baseball fan, I think that you can appreciate the absurdity of unwritten rules. And if you're not familiar we will go through that uh, because this incident was really kind of nuts. Then I want to talk about the sort of status of college football and where the blame should really lie when it comes to, I guess blame isn't the right word, but who really should be held accountable when it comes to keeping COVID and college campuses safe? Because there's, you know, there's a lot of people who feel like college kids aren't doing enough to keep themselves safe and to get themselves back on campus and to get sports back going. And I think that that's a worthwhile discussion. I have a few thoughts on what we can reasonably expect from kids aged uh 18 to 22 for the most part. So we'll go there. And then my final rant, we're going to actually get back to baseball. My rant of the day is about other sports fans from other teams or markets or whatever else feeling like they should be able to weigh in on the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry. Perhaps the most storied rivalry in all of sports. There is a, I have a special kind of annoyance. I'm, I'm, I'm especially annoyed by people who insert themselves in who aren't Yankees and Red Sox fans and who are from other cities outside of New York and Boston. So that'll be a fun one as well. So let's get it kicked off right now. Hot stuff coming up. Okay, for a little backstory. This incident unfolded during the eighth inning of the San Diego Padres game against the Texas Rangers, and the Padres were leading the Rangers 10 to three in the eighth inning. And one of their young uh, players, very famous prospect came up last year and has been great for them. Fernando Tatis Jr. 
shortstop on the team, comes to the plate with the bases loaded. And he's already hit a home run in this game. So the bases are loaded and the count is 3-0, which means there's been three balls, no strikes. And he gets about a 92 mile per hour fastball and he hits it out of the park. Grand slam. Now, normally this is a big deal. He's hit 11 home runs in the season. That's leads the MLB right now. This is a, a sport that really values individual statistics, especially when it comes to, you know, getting contracts and things like that. Obviously, it's a team sport, but, you know, it's individual statistics that get you into the Hall of Fame. So kids are taught from very early on when you can rake, you rake. And so, it, you know, I, me as a as a more than casual baseball fan, as someone who's followed baseball for a, a large portion of my life, I don't see anything wrong with this. However, the controversy started almost immediately. Apparently, there is an unwritten rule that when a team is up as much as the Padres were up by seven runs that late in the game and a player's at a 3-0 count, they don't swing. So they either wait for the ball, the fourth ball and take the walk or, you know, they take the strike. That's really the only two options. I haven't done nearly enough research to understand what this is all about other than some misplaced belief in not running up the score unnecessarily, but some that's an unwritten rule. Probably one of the more obscure ones, in my opinion, I have never heard this or seen this. Um, doesn't mean it hasn't happened, but it means that it's not something we see like frequently. Like there's some unwritten rules about throwing at hitters and, you know, certain things that are just a little bit more obvious. So the the manager of the Rangers said after the game that this is his quote. There's a lot of unwritten rules that are constantly being challenged in today's game. I didn't like it personally. You're up by seven runs in the eighth inning. It's typically not a good time to swing 3-0. It's kind of the way we were all raised in the game. But like I said, the norms are being challenged on a daily basis. So just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's not right. Well, his players thought it wasn't right. A couple of them have been suspended for their reactions to this breaking of the unwritten rule. And I want to kind of get into the sentiment that was that was expressed there in that quote. Um, it's actually not far off from a sentiment expressed by his by Tatis's own manager on the Padres. He actually signaled him to not swing. And T- Tatis, to his credit, took everything in stride. He said he was just trying to, like, take a good pitch and, like, hit it just like any other baseball player is raised to do. You know, you it's natural to swing at a pitch if you think you can hit it. And he's got power and he hit it out of the park. So let's get back to the idea that it's how we were all raised in the game. There is a sort of um, sheep-like mentality that happens in baseball where all of these rules that were created in the early part of the 20th century, when the game was considered somewhat of a gentleman's sport, was largely comprised of white players because the entire league was racist and Jackie Robinson hadn't broken the color color barrier yet. And even when he did, it battled extreme racism for a very long time. These were when the rules were created. And as players, non-white players began to make up a larger part of the league. We've seen the shunning of the unwritten rule more, more and more than ever. And part of that is because these players work their entire lives to get themselves into major league baseball and to play with a love of the game and play to the best of their ability in in any situation. And that's how 
people should play sports. That's what we pay players to do. That's what fans want to see. And asking players to sort of pull back in these weird situations so as not to embarrass a team that's losing is it's an old school, extremely outdated mentality that we really don't employ in any other part of American life. Yes, there's a there are interpersonal situations where you may decide you don't want to embarrass somebody or whatever. But when it comes to a game, all is fair in love and baseball, right? Part of it is just a a relic of a different time that certain people in baseball are unwilling to let go. Another part of this is that you're on the losing team and you lat and you latch on to whatever you can to make yourself feel better after the game, even if it's something you don't fully believe. And I really don't think there are a lot of current managers in the league that really think these unwritten rules are necessary. I think if I just it's it's just a convenient excuse that we're now like we've allowed these people to use for so long so that when they get to the podium and they're bitchy, they can like let off steam and everybody will be like, well, well I did break an unwritten rule. You know, it's not even genuine. Their outrage is not even genuine. You know, the Rangers break unwritten rules all the time because they're fucking fake. You know, they're fake rules. They're not they don't exist. There is you you can't get a you can't get in trouble for it. The Empire's not going to call you on it. There's that part of it. And then there's the part of it where, you know, you realize that the just the dynamics of the game have changed. These athletes are better athletes than they've ever been, just like in every sport. Athletes are becoming bigger stronger, faster, um, because we are a healthier, more aware generation of people and refusing to let the game evolve along with its athletes, along with its generation has held it back forever. And this is a perfect example. You know, this, this is a, a kid who, who could be a superstar in the league for you. And you're, you've created a controversy around him hitting a grand slam, which is one of the coolest things in sports. It's grand slams are so exciting. You know, no matter, no matter where the game's at, you hit a grand slam, things are kind of like momentum is swinging. Uh, and that, that brings me to the score. So this is in the eighth and it's, they're up seven. Now seven runs in baseball is a shit ton of runs. Don't get me wrong. It's a nearly insurmountable lead. But it is not insurmountable. I have, like I said, watched a lot of baseball in my life. You can come back from seven runs in, a ha- in you know, uh, an inning. It's unlikely. I'm sure there's statistics on how likely it is that that would happen. But it's not, it's not like they were up 10, 11, 12, 13 runs. Even if they were, I still don't give a shit. I still think you hit the grand slam and you win the game by 40 for all I care. But like... That's not a completely insurmountable lead. You take the, if you can get an extra one, two, three, four runs tacked on there and you can get yourself to that 14 to three lead. I don't see, I don't even think that's running up the score. I just don't, you know, like anything can happen in sports and I've seen crazier things than a game tied in the ninth inning when a team was run down by seven runs. It's just not that crazy. So you give up that opportunity to satisfy some rule that was made because Ty Cobb decided that's what he wanted. Like, it's it's just very bizarre. There's something so childish about looking at that situation and feeling like the team that's kicking your ass should give you a break. I just don't get it. I've never gotten it in any sport. You know, people talk about this in football, too, the idea of running up the score. Belichick, for example, has gotten gotten some flack for it 
in the past. You know, you're up by 40 points on a team and still going for a touchdown, you know, to which I've always responded. And I know a lot of people have as well. So what? You know, so what? What are you going to go out there and just sit around, twiddle your thumbs, like kick the ball, give them like just hand the ball over to them and give them a pat on the buck and say, this is that's silly. You got to play football. There's four quarters. You got to play. There's nine innings of baseball. You got to play. If I'm a fan watching, I want to watch Fernando Tatis hit a grand slam. I don't want to see him look at the pitch. I want to see him hit a grand slam. And if you're a Rangers fan, does it make you feel better that you lost by like seven runs instead of 10 or 10 runs instead of 15? No, you lose the game. So who is this helping? It's, it, you know, it's just there's like these tinges of of classism and sort of racism in it where it's just like any level of personality and strut and swagger. They've tried to beat it out of these players for so long and When you realize that a lot of these ideals and baseball morals were created in a time when the sport was extremely, extremely racist, you have to wonder why they really stick around anymore. I'm not saying that it's all about race because it's not, but so much of the league is raised playing baseball outside of the United States. They're raised playing in the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico and Venezuela, you know, other parts of South America. The culture that they bring should matter. Their beliefs in how the game should be played, their beliefs in how in how to bring excitement and personality to the game should matter. They should actually matter a lot more than some idea that we came up with in the 1920s or 30s or 40s when this country was in a completely different place, a place that we've left behind socially or that we should have left behind socially, you know, ethically, morally. So I guess that's like, it's just, it's one of those things where it's just like, I I love baseball, the idea of baseball so much and my nostalgia for baseball But like, man, it's things like this that remind me, especially in a time like 2020, that there's so much establishment in these institutions to chip away at. And it sometimes can just feel overwhelming, just tired of having to explain to people that they should embrace individuality and excitement and personality and character and swagger, you know, and I just... I wish baseball would catch up. And this was just a stark reminder that they really haven't. They're a long way from it. That stuff coming up. Okay, so the last time we talked, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 had pulled out of the, the college season for the fall college football season. And that stands. Currently, they are still the only two major conferences to have pulled out. The other three are trying to move forward with the season. We will see how that goes. Recently, it was revealed that either 32 or 34 Auburn players had tested positive over the course of time. LSU's Ed Orgeron just confirmed that two or three LSU players have tested positive. These positives keep cropping up. Practices have to be canceled, etc. There are a lot of issues with certain colleges not trusting that another college is holding up their, you know, their end in terms of testing and keeping people safe. It's very difficult. And on top of that, there are players led by Justin Fields, the quarterback at Ohio State, who are, you know, are petitioning to play. They, they don't want to lose their season, and I don't blame them. But there's a larger question at hand, and this goes for, obviously, 
all school-aged kids and young adults. Anyone who is, you know, between the ages of five and, you know, a senior in college is dealing with the same thing, which is, you know, in school situation where you outnumber the teachers and the staff as students naturally, is it appropriate for us to ask them to self-police, especially when we've seen that the world at large and especially the United States has its own difficulties with self-policing. You know, senators and congresspeople can't get on the same page. Mayors and governors can't get on the same page. Adults in the same household, adults in the same families can't get on the same page when it comes to self-policing and keeping each other safe from the coronavirus. So how do we put that onus on kids? And I know there are a lot of people out there who say, hey, College kids aren't kids. They're young adults. They should know better. They should know that they have to keep themselves in these situations, whatever. But I can tell you right now, I've never met an 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old kid in my life that had that kind of discipline. And that's without the fact that none of us understand what it's like to live through a pandemic. There's like a couple people in the world who were alive in 1918 when the flu busted out, the Spanish flu. This is the first real worldwide pandemic we've dealt with in, in our generation of people on this level. So... It's not like these kids, it's not like these kids were raised with some sort of understanding on how to do this. You know, they're like, we're learning as we go here. And on top of that, science has proven that the young adult's brain is not really fully, truly developed in the same way as an adult until they're 24 or 25 years old. And you don't have to like that and you don't have to believe it or agree with it. But I would ask you, to think back on yourself at 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, to really remember where your headspace was at, what you thought, what your worldview was, what was important to you. And to really think about what you feel you were capable of in terms of not only self-control, but of understanding what's going on around you. When I was 18, I had a hard time getting myself motivated to get to class. And I was a straight-A National Honor Society student in high school. But as soon as I got to college, there was so much information overload and sensory overload. I was out of my house for the first time. I was having all of these new experiences and meeting all of these new people. It was a constant adrenaline rush. And I had a hard time even focusing on getting myself to class. And I was experimenting in the world, just like everybody else. And then, you know, sophomore year was a new thing and junior year was a new thing and you're meeting new people and there's all these new added experiences and you get even more freedom and now you can have a car on campus and you, there are all these things you, the first time you're ever doing something outside of your parents' purview in your life and your brain's not fully developed. And on top of it, you don't have a full understanding of infectious disease. You know, we're all guilty of that, right? We're all guilty of of underestimating the chances that something sort of extraordinary could happen to us, especially when we're young, especially when our brains haven't fully developed, especially when our experiences in the world outside of living with our parents are so limited. Talking about six months, a year, two years, three years since these people were living full time with their parents cooking their meals for them and doing their laundry for them. And a lot of these kids still have that. You know, you don't just go to college and become a full-grown adult on your own. You know, that's that's not what happens. The whole college experience is craving social interaction, 
So for us as a society full of adults to look at these kids and put that burden on them, go to school, but make sure you don't see any of your friends and you stay six feet from your roommate and you keep your mask on and you don't share drinks and you don't go to the games. And it's just like you're taking away the entire experience and asking them to just figure it out. I can't even figure it out. I can't even figure out how to function in the world under these circumstances. I barely leave my house because I'm afraid of making a mistake or or being in the wrong place without my mask or whatever. Like it's it's very difficult to operate under these circumstances. I just think we have to be have a little bit more compassion for young people who are going through this. There are kids who haven't been to school and in a classroom and and had that social development in six months and they and we don't know when they'll be back. And some of those kids will go back and it'll all be thrown into upheaval again when there's a COVID outbreak. Like children that are dealing with this and we're all like just so quick to just yell at these kids who are doing the same fucking shit all of us did, but they're doing it in this awful, uncertain, scary, dark world. And the lack of empathy and compassion for her, how, how hard it is to self-manage at that age is just, it bothers me. The communication between, you know, the older generations and the younger ones has got to get better if we're going to beat stuff like the coronavirus. You know, we don't have the option of being this contentious with each other or this ignorant for that matter, you know? Shall we? Hey, if you're not a Red Sox fan or a Yankees fan, guess what I don't give a shit about? Your opinion on the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry. How do you like that? I have always considered the rivalry to be that of like two siblings. And, you know, they live near each other. They're pretty, you know, they have a lot of similarities, but the things that make them different, they're really proud of. And that's, you know, sometimes the things they focus on and they just say the meanest shit about each other. They talk so much shit. They will be the first one to tear the other one down. But as soon as someone else steps into that, as soon as someone else tries to talk shit about the other one, as soon as someone else does something to the other one, you step up. Hey, 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 I can say that about the Yankees. You can't say that about the Yankees. You don't understand what we've been through together. You know, you can't say that about Boston and the Red Sox. I can say that about Boston and the Red Sox. I hate those little twerps but you don't know what we've been through together, right? Anytime something happens to one of the cities, you know, the Yankees and New York in general, they were the first city to show their love and to unite with Boston after the marathon bombing in 2013. Boston, after 9-11, anytime anything's ever happened with New York, Hurricane Sandy, first ones to be there to say like, we're with you. So there's a very, it's very deep. It's doesn't, it's beyond just baseball. It's beyond just the sport and the fans. It's this, it's the cultures of the cities. It's the relationship between the cities. The fact that they are so geographically close and share so many things in common, but also have so many differences. The fact that Boston's, you know, the smaller sort of provincial town and New York's big and bustling and, and so diverse but they also have the same sort of 
Northeast, walk fast, talk fast, don't give me any bullshit kind of bravado about them. It's special. And you, you know, you get on Twitter and you start seeing people, oh, oh look at the, uh, oh, the Bruins won great. But uh, what about the Yankees beating the Red Sox? Well, what about it? Because if you're not a Yankees fan, I don't care. And if you are a Yankees fan, then I'll get, then we can fucking talk shit. But you don't get to come in and throw the Yankees in my face if you're a fucking Astros fan. You don't get to come in and throw the Red Sox in a Yankees fan's face if you're a fucking Twins fan. That's not, well, let's be honest. Twins fans aren't throwing anything in anyone's face. They're so fucking nice. Minnesota and then and and Milwaukee, those fans are so nice. It's like, guys, do you even know what it's like to be just mad for no reason other than this obscure idea that your sports team has let you down? No, must be nice. I'm just kidding. But it is it is funny. They are so nice. But but realistically, like there's something very sacred about the hatred that I feel like people try to latch on to. And it never fully gets there. And it just feels like it feels intrusive, you know, like, yeah, some of the other ALEs teams probably get it. You know, they get it a little more. I'll hear it from an Orioles fan or a Jays fan or a Rays fan, you know, like, okay, I'll hear you out. But you still don't really get it. You know, you're from Tampa. If you're from Tampa, first of all, Godspeed. But you don't get it. You know, it, and then there's like the the Dodgers want to get on it, and the Astros want to get in on it, and I I'm sorry, this this one's just not for you. You don't get to get in on this one, okay? We hate each other better than you could ever hate us, and that's something that we cherish. Just just leave us to it, please. All right, guys, that wraps up episode nine of the Almost Shameless podcast. I am potentially going to be off grid for the next week or two. That is still up in the air, but obviously I'll keep you in the loop on Twitter and Instagram and everything. So we will, uh, regardless, we will be talking and we'll be staying in touch. And in the meantime, as always, as always, stay safe, stay healthy, hug your loved ones, and I will talk to you soon. Bye.